Welcome to Judaism in the 21st Century, the podcast that explores issues we face in life and how we can better deal with them with lessons rooted in Judaism. I'm your host, Stephen Labkoff, and my co-host with me every week is Rabbi Daniel Cohen from Congregation Agudath Shalom in Stanford, Connecticut. Welcome aboard, and let's get to it. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Judaism in the 21st Century. My name is Steve Labkoff, and I'm here with my colleague, Rabbi Daniel Cohen. And this week, we're going to be talking about a topic that um, might get a little dicey, a little thorny. It's going to be on uh, ethics in business. So, Rabbi, why don't you open it up? What are your perspectives there? I mean, I certainly I work in the business world, uh, and I have a, a variety of perspectives, but why don't you kick us off this week? Thank you. Well, first of all, it's nice to be back with you, um, and I appreciate your time. Uh, so, to me... Um, one of the most fundamental ideas of a a moral and just society is creating a society where everyone recognizes the divine image in everyone else. And the world is rooted in a sense of honesty and truth and integrity. And I think one of the challenges uh, that we have today in the world with the diminishment of, of faith is a recognition that my decisions even if they are not seen by others, needs to be driven by inner motivation as opposed to external regulation. Uh, And we're living in a world where we think that the most significant way to create an ethical and moral and just society is more regulations. And I think it's important to have a conversation that perhaps there needs to be a deeper commitment to inspiring people to make decisions based on conviction, not on convenience, on principle, not on pressure. Um, And this is a very important uh, dimension, I think, to creating a more just and ethical society. So, you know, as I said in my opening remarks, I've been in the business world now for close to 30 years, and I've watched people do things that are generally completely on target. And then I've watched people do things that are somewhat less on target. And I actually can give an example of that uh, very thing. I recently attended a, a medical conference and having worked in the in the world of life sciences, I'm very familiar with some of the regulations around what has to happen in case somebody mentions an adverse drug reaction uh, in a given um, in a given setting. It means that uh, the representative from the pharmaceutical company has to do a a, a big report. It has to that report needs to get filed about the adverse reaction, and then the um, reaction, the AE has to be reported to the FDA. It's a lot of work, and frankly, some most of the time, it's it doesn't really amount to much because it's either a known uh, side effect or adverse event. Uh, it's not that common to be a um, something dramatically, you know, new or news. Uh, very recently, I attended a medical conference where somebody from a pharmaceutical organization got up and in part said effectively, let's not discuss adverse events because if you do, I have to report it. It'll make a lot of extra work for me. And, uh, you know, while I understood that person's perspective, I also know that that wasn't precisely the ethical way of handling it, to be frank. Um and I did take that person aside and gave them some feedback around my perspectives on it. And they thanked me. I don't know if they'll change their ways or not. 
but that was a, a kind of a disappointment, frankly, to me to see that kind of behavior, um, especially having spent more than 20 years of my career in that field and knowing how to behave. What are your reflections about something like that? I think that this person's decision to make a statement like that is the product of small decisions over a long period of time. And I think we can underestimate in this conversation uh, the importance of a person at a very young age uh, knowing what their values are. Because if a person knows what their values are, then they'll look through those values when they are confronted by a morally ambiguous decision. And rather than make that decision based upon, do I have enough time? What's the cost benefit? I'll ask myself, is this something that represents who I am and who I want to be? And I'll give you a great example of it. It was a front page story in the New York Times uh, the summer of the Beijing Olympics. And there was something called the dolphin kick, which was illegal. The problem is, is that the, the officials could not determine whether or not people would be doing the dolphin kick within a few feet when they left the, the side of the swimming pool. So they asked the swimmers, they said, if you know you're not going to be caught, would you do it anyway? So many of the swimmers, and of course, they requested anonymity. They said, if everybody's doing it, of course, I'm going to do it. But Brent, Brendan Hansen, who was a bronze medalist for the United States, said, of course, I'm not going to cheat. That's not who I am. That's not what I was raised to do. So I think it's important within families, within companies, and again, it's at very early stages, we know like, you know, what ultimately is what we stand for and recognizing, you know, uh, Warren Buffett said this very well, as did King Solomon. I'll go to Warren Buffett first. He said, it takes 10 years to build a reputation. It takes five minutes to destroy a reputation. And King Solomon said it in a different way where he said, better to have a good name than all the wealth in the world. And a good name reflects making decisions uh, that are truly decisions reflective of eternal values, not transient ones. So, you know, I've heard that paraphrase throughout my career about trust and how incredibly important trust is. Um, you know, again, leaning on my own background, I trust actually most of the, despite whatever the news says, and whatever is uh, out there in terms of the, the narrative, Having been inside of firms like Pfizer and AstraZeneca, um, I found that, you know, despite the narrative and the news and, and the, everything around fake news, I found that much for the large part, uh, my colleagues in those institutions worked very, very hard to do exactly the right thing. Mm -hmm. um, and they tried, and for the most part successfully, to really land on what the right decision, uh, you know, of whatever it happened to be would be on the market in the best interest of patients. I do know that there's other players in that field who took other perspectives. Uh, this gentleman, uh, I forget his name off the top of my head, I think it was Scrolly or something like that, who decided to raise the price of some medications, um, you know, a hundredfold after he bought the company and it made the news a while back. And he uh, ended up effectively getting arrested and going to jail, not over that, but over some other things. Um, I'm reminded of, uh, I once got the chance to meet Clayton Christensen from Harvard, uh, mm. in a, um, at a, at a meeting and he was signing his book, uh, that was about basically, uh, how do you want to be remembered, uh, in your life or how do, I forget the exact title of his book, yes. uh, but you wrote a book that was actually similar to that in nature. 
uh, very recently. And, you know, I found his perspectives. He was in a class at Harvard Business School. And the reason why he wrote the book was that something like 20 to 30 or 40 percent of his his class at Harvard Business School ended up in jail by the end of their careers. And that caught his attention and it prompted him to write this book. Um, in fact, the guy who was the CEO of Enron was in his class. Um, how do you think, you know, faith and religion, and I'm not in this case going to point to Judaism in particular, how does that, how do you think that would impact if there was more religion or more uh, reliance on, on these types of ethics? How do you think that would impact uh, business? I think it would have a major impact. I mean, uh, Clayton Christensen in one of his videos speaks about the fact that, you know, democracy, we may have mentioned this, is founded on the belief that even when there is not external a law, even even when there's everything is not being guided by by laws, we assume that people will follow their higher angels and do the right thing. And part of that is a reflection of faith that I know that ultimately I'm accountable to a higher power. Um, I, I will have to be able to look myself in the mirror and know that my actions reflect my past and reverberate into my future. That's something actually that I speak a lot about in, in the book. One of the principles for creating a life of legacy is courageous choices. And one of the individuals who's a friend and, and mentor, and he's interviewed in the book, is Senator Joseph Lieberman. And he says, I never want to be remembered for playing life safe. I want to be remembered for doing what's right. Um, and I do believe that unless somebody, not unless, but I think having a sense of faith of being accountable to a higher power, knowing that in the end, I can't control everything. You know, at the end of the day, success is not based only upon my own efforts, but there's so many other factors. Um, a person will be motivated uh, to make decisions based upon principle and doing the right thing. And one other point to your uh, comment about Harvard Business School, I don't believe that most individuals uh, go to Harvard Business School or any business school thinking they're going to make money by cheating the system. But as um, you know, one individual who was convicted of bilking people of millions of money, millions of dollars of, of uh, millions of dollars said, you know, I began this process when I lost some money and I had a choice. I could either admit failure or I could forge the documents. And I chose to forge the documents. But one compromise led to another compromise and led to another compromise. Um, and I think that recognizing that, you know, I trust ultimately that, you know, God is in charge. I have a family that will be either tainted or elevated through the decisions that I make um, will motivate somebody uh, to even in the most private of uh, arenas, understand that ultimately uh, their decision will have eternal rever reverberations. So I did a quick search. The name of uh, Christensen's book was called How Will You Measure Your Life? Uh, and what was the name of your book? You want to give that a quick plug? Sure. Thank you. <laughs> it's called What Will They Say About You When You're Gone? Creating a Life of Legacy. And the premise is how do we lead the life now for how we want to be remembered? You know, it, I read your book and I was really taken aback by many of the messages in it. And they, it did harken back to the to, to Christensen's book. Uh, in some ways, your perspective is a little more, um, uh, what's the right word I'm looking for? 
religious isn't even quite the right word, but introspective, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Christensen's book was equally uh, interesting on, on from a different perspective. But I guess, what are some of the tools we can use to bring some of this back? I mean, in every generation, there seems to be um, people who forget these messages, that forget what happened. Uh, my son and I recently watched the movie The Big Short, which I don't know if you're familiar with, but yes. that that movie was shocking to me. I mean, shocking in ways that I just was blown away. Um, and, you know, that became a bubble which effectively destroyed billions of dollars of, of value for our country. The stock market took a hit. The housing market took a gigantic hit. And the whole thing started by people seeing kinks in the armor and not thinking that, uh, you know, we could ever see a recession or a depression akin to what happened in the 30s. And yet they had so much hubris that they caused precisely that and potentially even more damage. Um, What can we do, do you think? Uh, Is this about going to synagogue or going to church? Is this about reading the Torah or or the Bible or the Quran? What brings these values back so that people start thinking more about this issue of long-term trust and their ability to uh, navigate these tough decisions. And, you know, if they fail, you know, sometimes you fail and you need to be able to move through that. Sometimes that actually makes you stronger. What do you see as some of the tools that we could bring to bear on this issue? So I do think that clearly having a strong sense that um, I'm walking in this world, you know, humbly with a recognition that there is a higher power to whom not only I am accountable, but ultimately who will determine, you know, my successes or not is a recognition um, that I need to make decisions, again, that are not expedient, but rather reflective of eternal values. So I do believe the component of faith in our life, whatever that faith is, but a higher power is something that will motivate people. I also think that um, having positive role models of individuals who we would aspire to lead to lead lives of integrity. Um, people should spend more time with those individuals. I mean, I was did a funeral a number of uh, years ago for a fellow who was um, very involved in uh, in Citibank at the time, and uh, a friend of his was the CEO. It's public knowledge. Uh, Chuck Prince was the CEO at, at the time, and Citibank was going through a very difficult time, and a lot of people were selling their shares. And this fellow, Erwin Anninger, said, this fellow is my friend. I'm loyal to him. I'm not going to look at what's expedient, but I'm going to place loyalty you know, to, to somebody who is trying his best than to my own particular you know, financial situation at that time. Um, I think also the notion of, again, I said, knowing what your values are. Identify, how do you want to be remembered? You know, when I, when I sit with a family, um, nobody ever talks about, and this has been said, of course, like he earned this amount of money. This was his position. He was an honest person. He was a person who had a good name. He was somebody you could count on, somebody you could trust. Those accolades are the product of many, many small decisions. And, you know, I want to quote Senator Dan Coates. He has a great quote. He says, character cannot be summoned at the moment of crisis if it has been squandered by years of compromise and rationalization. The only testing ground for the heroic is the mundane. The only preparation for that one profound decision 
that can change a life or a nation of those hundreds of half-conscious, self-defining, seemingly insignificant decisions made in private, habit is the daily battleground of character. That's that's a very apropos quote. I mean, it's like, it, it basically says, how do you generate muscle memory for good behavior? How mm-hmm. do you build muscle memory for ethical behavior in business? And, you know, it's a daily it's a daily challenge for many in the world uh, because their business lives are, uh, they play out in the mundane, exactly as you just, uh, as you just outlined. But I'll give you an example just to jump in for a minute. I mean, this, this happens, you know, you're, you're at a supermarket and you get extra change, you know, and you're already in the car. Do you go back <laughs> or do you keep it? You know, from a faith perspective, you know, you, you got to go back. You know, n- nothing is too small. The moment we put a price tag on whether or not something is ethical or not, then we're opening up ourselves to all sorts of rationalizations. Um, so I think we have to be careful. As he says, even the mundane, that is the testing ground for the heroic. Um, and, you know, I do believe our society would be a lot uh, better place and also um a lot of people would rise as a result of this because to me, this is also a, a speaks to, you know, the resources and blessings that we have. And this is another factor are not our own. See, the moment that I think that I earned it, this is mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. Then, you know, again, I get into this place of I want to cut corners to save a little bit of dollars. But if I see whatever resources I have as entrusted to me by a higher power, then I'll realize that then that higher power who gave me these resources in partnership with my efforts wants me to abide by a certain code of ethics, then of course that's what I would do. And for that matter, I'll be more philanthropic because I won't see it as mine. I'll see it as I have this bounty to be entrusted with, to share with others as well. You know, the issue of philanthropy in business is um, an interesting one. Uh, I've worked in organizations which were multi-billion dollar international companies and they also gave away you know big chunks of change i was fortunate enough to work on a project called pfizer to help build a hospital for aids care back in the early 2000s and you know that project you know on the balance sheet it wasn't a big project it was still about a 25 million dollar program for pfizer but against pfizer's profits that doesn't look like very much but that little project, that little hospital, ended up training over 5,000 doctors and close to 30,000 nurses in 10 years on how to take care of HIV in mm-hmm. sub-Saharan Africa, which was a devastating, devastating disease and still is to this day in that part of the world. Um, and they did the right thing at the time. I mean, they put the money in, they put the time of our, of people that work there in, and it still remains to this day as one of my... Uh, capstone projects of my career in terms of things I've given back to society. I impacted way more lives on that project than I probably would have as a clinical physician mm. um, over the course of working in Fairfield County, Connecticut. I think we should uh, give a lot of this food for thought and, and maybe we'll revisit this topic in a later podcast. But uh, for now, I think we're at time and I want to thank you, uh, doc, um, Dr. Rabbi Daniel Cohen. My grandmother wanted me to be a doctor, so thank you so much. <laughs> Appreciate it. Uh, but always a pleasure. The topic of business ethics is uh, dear to my heart, and you know, God willing, we'll have other opportunities to to chat about it as well. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, and uh, look for um, 
email address in the in, below the post where you could send us information or send us feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. Hello. Thanks for listening to Judaism in the 21st Century. I'm Dr. Stephen Labkoff, and for my co-host, Rabbi Daniel Cohen, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back again next week with another episode. See you next time.